Axis Mundi. You're listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our amazing lineup of creators. Hello, friends. Before we jump in today, wanted to say thank you to all of you for your support, all of our patrons and uh, people who reach out to us. Uh, we are immensely grateful, and you uh, definitely make this show go. In the new year, we're looking forward to uh, continuing the show and doing it three times a week, but uh, we're basically in a place where we need to continue to uh, raise revenue and, and uh, raise money in order to do that. For Dan and I, uh, this is a passion project. It's something that takes up a lot of time, especially, especially for me. I'm the writer, the producer, uh, the interviewer, uh, the editor, and all of those things. And so uh, with a newborn and uh, with job responsibilities and all kinds of other things, both Dan and I are basically staring down a, uh, a scenario where we need to kind of figure out how we can balance all of those obligations with the time it takes to do this show, uh, not just once, not just twice, but three times a week. And so um, if you have not uh, thought about becoming a, p- a patron yet, um, please think about that today. Or if you would like just an ad-free experience without having to sign up for Patreon and all that stuff, you can find that uh, in our show notes as well. It would really help us and uh, allow me to focus on content and to interviewing uh, great scholars and journalists and to formulating uh, further uh, series and, uh, and, and documentaries. And if none of that's possible, we, co- we totally understand. We would hope that you would uh, perhaps stop by uh, Apple Podcasts and give us a review. Um, it helps us out immensely and share all of our stuff on social media. Uh, That helps too. Thanks for being here, and we'll turn now to today's interview. Over the last few weeks, the world has watched in horror as Vladimir Putin has attempted to invade Ukraine and in the process, leveled destruction and violence and death on both the Ukrainian people and his own Russian soldiers. One of the surprising facets of this war has been the response on the American right, with everyone from Donald Trump to Tucker Carlson praising or defending Putin in different ways. While some of them have backtracked in recent days, others, notably a swath of American Christians, continue to not only defend but to praise Putin for his actions. This has baffled observers. Why would American Christians think of Putin? as on the right side of history and the right side of God in trying to invade the sovereign nation of Ukraine. My guest today is Sarah Riccardi Swartz, who is an expert in Russian Orthodoxy and American religions. She helps me decode what's happening when conservative Christians in the United States think of Putin as aligned with God. She explains how Putin in the post-Soviet context has used the Russian Orthodox Church as a weapon at home on his own soil, but perhaps most importantly, abroad, where he has sold Russia as a Christian nation, a Christian nationalist nation, a place where the values of patriarchy and heteronormativity and xenophobia have been coded as Christian and have been understood stateside as the ideal situation for the people of God. The interview with Sarah is illuminating as much as it is startling. Mm-hmm. 
Welcome to Straight White American Jesus. My name is Brad Onishi, faculty at the University of San Francisco, our show's hosted in partnership with the CAP Center at UCSB. And I'm joined today by a friend and colleague who is a return guest and uh, who's just uh, an amazing scholar, but uh, is uh, enduring, uh, enduring a moment where her scholarship is incredibly uh, pertinent and on the headlines. So I'll just say, uh, Sarah Riccardi Swartz, thanks for joining me once again. Thanks so much for having me, Brad. So, Sarah, you are a postdoctoral fellow at the Recovering Truth Project, uh, Recovering Truth, Religion, Journalism, and Democracy in a Post-Truth Era, and that's at Arizona State. Um, PhDs from New York University. Um, you've published all over. You've received funding from, from so many places. Um, and most importantly, uh, your book, Between Heaven and Russia, Religious Conversion and Political Apostasy in Appalachia, uh, is has just appeared and uh, is sort of uh, topping bestseller lists all over the place. So congratulations um, on the publication of this amazing work. Thank you. Thanks. It's it's sadly too too timely. Yes. Yes. And so today we want to talk about um, obviously your your book, but also um, I think that's going to tie into things that are on people's minds as it relates to Russia and uh, Vladimir Putin and uh, just what's happening in Ukraine and so on. And so. I want to, this is a book, your book is about Appalachia. It's about a community of religious folks, Russian Orthodox converts uh, in uh, in Appalachia. However, I think for our purposes today, we might need to start in Russia um, and just to kind of set up some, some things uh, going forward. I'm going to... Uh, embarrass you and read a little bit of, of, uh, of your, of your writing here, just so people can get an idea of, of where we're going. Um, Putin's seemingly illiberal tenure has been marked by two important social movements, the rise of the powerful and politically charged post-Soviet Russian Orthodox church and the engagement of Western conservative actors with Russian polit politics, religion, and ideas. Putin's conservative social politics, his focus on keeping the Moscow Patriarchate as a close political ally and his emphasis on marketing Russia as a wholly outside of Western secularism and liberalism set into motion a social transformation of Russia in the Western conservative imagination. So I, I, I hope that you might just give us a, a kind of refresher on Russian history uh, regarding how during the Soviet era, the communist era, religion was not seen as a friend mm -hmm. of the state. Mm -hmm. And subsequently, how Vladimir Putin has reinvigorated the Russian Orthodox Church. Uh, and yet that has come with uh, certain conditions, I shall say, uh, that the church has had to kind of abide by and, uh, and mm -hmm. act upon. So would you mind taking us through that? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right that during the during the Soviet period, religion wasn't particularly um, it wasn't a cultural and social production that the Soviets were inclined to engage with. Um, in fact, they were inclined often, and this is this is broadly. This is not just with Orthodox Christians, but um, a variety of religious traditions. They were inclined to shut them down as soon as possible because they were seen as threats to. Uh, the social cohesion of the state. That being said, there was also at the same time a sort of um, an acceptability of certain religious practices. So, for example, if you lived out in the country, as did some of my interlocutors who were from Russia, um, and you went to a small country parish, um, the Soviets might not bother you, right? Because you're not really doing anything. You're sort of living your life. You're not bothering anyone. Um, the real fear for the Soviets came when you were a priest who had ideas about fighting back or overturning um, some sort of 
uh, jurisdictional ideas that were um, put into law by the Soviets about how religion could function in a particular space. That's when you became a threat. Um, so, you know, here's a church that seemingly in, in the Western context, they like to say went underground, the Orthodox Church during the Soviet period. I wouldn't say it went underground as much as it just sort of in its normative formations was there um, when it was when it was deliberately a threat to the state. That's when people started ending up in gulags. Right. So. In the post-Soviet period, Putin recognized that, right? You know, we we all know sort of, at least I think we do, because it's on the forefront of everybody's mind right now. We we understand um, how Putin was involved with the KGB. We know his sort of uh, mob ties and his rise to power. Um, and here he is, right, in the early 2000s as the president of the Russian Federation. And he has to figure out a way to sort of make Russia powerful again, right? We had this fall of Russian power after perestroika. Things were sort of chaotic financially, uh, economically for people, um, and in terms of sort of political power on the global stage. And he had to figure out a way to um, sort of revitalize Russia in in both the global consciousness, but also in terms of economics and, and world politics. And part of that was his great marketing strategies. I mean, he was really good at uh, marketing Russia as something completely unique um, on the global stage. And he did that with the help of the post-Soviet Russian Orthodox Church. Thanks for listening to this free preview of our Swag episode. In order to get access to the full episode and so much more, become a Straight White American Jesus premium subscriber by clicking the link in the show notes. It'll take you like two clicks, I promise. In addition to getting access to this episode, you'll have access to the entire Swag archive, over 550 episodes. You'll also get an extra episode every month, ad-free listening, Discord access, and so much more. All that for less than six bucks a month, and it helps us keep our flag up and continue to safeguard democracy from religious nationalism, extremism, and rising authoritarianism. Check it out. It's not hard, I promise. Thank mm-hmm. you.